listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. I want to say Happy New Year to all our listeners. I hope you had a great holiday season and are looking forward to a very productive and fruitful 2019. A new year also means new leadership in most of state government here in Michigan. And for the first time in a long time, it's Democrats who are taking charge of all three statewide executive offices, governor, attorney general, and secretary of state. Democrats also got stronger in both houses of the legislature, but fell short of taking majority. So what will the new relationship look like between Democrats and Republicans in the House and Senate? And how will either chamber work with new Democratic Governor Gretchen Whitmer? Joining us now is the person who will lead that stronger Democratic caucus in the House, Christine Gregg. She is uh, a representative of the 37th District, which covers Farmington and Farmington Hills here in southeast Michigan. Christine Gregg, welcome to Detroit Today. Well, good morning and Happy New Year. Yes, Happy New Year to you as well. Uh, You spent New Year's Day in Lansing, as most people who are really interested or involved in politics did. Uh, Let's start with Telling you telling us a little about how that felt. Uh, first time in a long time that Democrats had a good day on Inauguration Day in Lansing. It was a good day. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was it was thrilling it is really the best word I can use. Sitting there on the dais um, with the leadership of the state and the enormity of, of what we're trying to accomplish in the uh, 100th legislature really hit home with me. Uh, and But also being a fresh start. Right. And a great opportunity for us all to work together to really, you know, move the state forward and a lot of big challenges with, you know, fixing the damn roads. Yes. Yes. Well, let's start there. That was what uh, Governor Whitmer said over and over in uh, 2018. A lot of her campaign was sort of fashioned around the idea that uh, we needed to fix the roads, but that in order to do that, and she talked about this a lot yesterday, that we've got to work together. We've got to have Democrats and Republicans kind of put aside some of their core, uh, not values, but but core ideas, I guess, and, and say, listen, uh, I, I've got to get something done. I may have to give something up mm-hmm. to, to do that. Uh, what's your sense of how quickly the administration will move on that issue and how we might get further than we have in the last eight years where we've really been stuck on this issue? Right. Well, one of the first orders of business in, in any new year is the budget. Right. And I think that's going to be a real testament of how we come together and talk about where do we put our our precious taxpayer uh, resources into fixing the roads and other, uh, other challenges for the state. And I think with Governor Whitmer at the helm and bringing all the quadrant leaders together to, um, <clears throat> excuse me, have a constant dialogue I think we'll 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 have some really good wins. Yeah, uh, the, the, she is the first former legislator elected to the governorship since John Engler. Uh, it's not a terrible, uh, terribly long ago uh, event, but we have had two governors in the meantime who I think it's fair to say had a hard time dealing with the legislature, had a hard time bringing people together 
to to get their agendas through. Do you think Governor Whitmer will be more like Governor Engler in the way she approaches that and therefore maybe more successful? I think coming in with that legislative background, she honors and respects that we are co-equal branches of government and being able to sit down together and work as a team to try to come up with these good solutions. That's going to be an invaluable perspective to to actually agree on something and, and move the budget forward, move policy forward. And I think she's a, absolutely the right person at this time to, to lead us in that effort. So so Democrats are still in the minority in the House as, as well as in the Senate. Uh, but as I said in the open, you've got more seats than you had before. Talk about what has changed and what it may mean for policymaking uh, in Lansing. So we're up to 52 members, uh, up from 47. And to see the breadth of experience uh, and, and the ju- just the different backgrounds that the representatives are bringing in, uh, you can already see that we're going to have really in-depth policy discussions with this new legislature, with the new Democratic caucus. Um, many of our new representatives uh, were very engaged in community groups as well, too, and engaged the public. And to me, that's one of the biggest things that we're going to see in this new legislature is that there's going to be a lot more outside-in uh, engagement. Uh, I, I'm hoping the Lansing bubble is no longer the Lansing bubble. Mm. And we've really spread a lot of sunshine and a lot of uh, engagement across the state so that we are getting more input from the public when we come up with our policies. And I think you're going to see the Democratic caucus members leading that effort. So we've had divided government here in, in Lansing for quite some time, dating back to uh, uh, Jennifer Granholm's uh, administration when she had to contend with the uh, Republican Senate. Um, uh, are are we are we going to see the end of the gridlock that 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 brought us? Uh, in in your estimation, do you think we have a better chance of getting more done because of the changes that uh, we've seen in the executive branch and the stronger? Democratic hands that, that will be able to be played in the in the House and Senate? I do. I think it's an amazing opportunity. And I think Governor Whitmer has taken the first step and said, listen, we are going to have regular quadrant meetings. Everyone's going to come together. We're going to talk about these issues. And remind the listeners uh, of what that quadrant is, those those four. Right. So the four, four leaders of, of the legislature. So we have uh, in the Senate, we have Majority Leader uh, Senator Shirky and Minority Leader Jim Ananick. And then over in the House, I'll be working with Speaker uh, Lee Chatfield and then myself rounding out the four four leaders, uh, thus the quadrant. Yeah, yeah. And and that's a very important uh, group of, of people in Lansing. And the relationships that develop between those people really have a lot to do with how much gets done. I mean, each time we change the people in those seats, uh, the, the dynamic changes, and it really matters how well that works in terms of uh, actual legislation getting passed. It absolutely it does, and we've seen in the past, we've had some major pieces of legislation, our L, uh, energy uh, plan that uh, passed a few years ago, and what it was was leaders coming together from both caucuses and sitting down and having these really uh, one-on-one conversations and saying, what can we really do here and make sure that we have a win for everybody? And I think developing those relationships working closely together leader to leader, but also leading our caucuses and bringing them along in the process of, as well is really important. And I, I think you'll see a really good, strong caucus dynamics as well in the 100th legislature. What about your relationship with Lee Chatfield, who will be the Speaker of the House? Uh, how well do you know him? And uh, do you think you'll be able to work well with him? 
Yeah, so we came in together four years. So we've had four years of, of working together on different legislation. We served on a couple committees together as well in the first term. So we have that relationship, and now we need to take it one step further. We've had many meetings already uh, and uh, working through actually more of the administrative pieces of running the House right now, and it's been, uh, it's been a great start. Do you feel as though uh, the, the familiarity, I guess, you have with, with Lee will make a difference in terms of building this, this new relationship? Well, absolutely, because first, you know, t- to make progress on any issue, you have to understand, I believe anyway, a person as, you have to see them as a person, right? Know about their, their family and about their values and their priorities. And once you have that basic understanding, it's much easier to to talk about specific policy or issues that have come up and try to move the the needle forward on that as well. So that definitely helps uh, to have that personal relationship with your uh, with your your colleagues. Yeah, uh, this is Detroit today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guest is State Representative. Christine Gregg, she is the new State House Democratic leader representing the 37th district, which covers Farmington and Farmington Hills here in southeast Michigan. Uh, Democrats will have a stronger hand to play in the House of Representatives and in the Senate, uh, thanks to the elections in 2018. They also now control the governorship, uh, the attorney general's office, and the secretary of state. Uh, We're talking about what that hand may look like. What will Democrats focus on and how much more successful may they be uh, than we've seen in the last eight years at actually getting legislation passed. Uh, If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. Tell us what you hope and expect from Democrats in Lansing now that they control the governor's office and have gained some ground in the legislature. What do you hope lawmakers will concentrate on in 2019? Uh, the the number, as always, on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll try to work you into the conversation. Uh, Representative Greg, I want to talk about your priorities for 2019. What's, what's on your mind as you go into this leadership role in the House? Well, one of my personal uh, priorities has always been public education. Uh, to me, uh, that's always the, the key to opportunity for everyone. I grew up um, in rural Indiana. I have 11 brothers and sisters. Hmm. Um, I did not know that. Yes, yes. <laughs> and uh, education was the key. Uh, for me, my parents obviously couldn't afford to send 12 kids to college. <laughs> so we had to have affordable college as sure. well. And we had to have a strong public education system to to set us up for success to go to college. Uh, and then when I did uh, uh, get accepted into the University of Notre Dame, it was based on scholarships, uh, low-interest student loans, uh, work-study programs. And I just felt like that dream was going away for a lot of people. Regardless of where they live, they should have that opportunity. So uh, I have three sons. I became very uh, active in my schools, and I saw that the equity was not there. And I knew if it was a problem in my school district, it had to be big problems across the state. Um, So I've always uh, had an eye out toward uh, public education and making sure it was a level playing field and that every child had the opportunity to succeed. So I'll be looking at that legislation as well. So we don't do terribly well with that right now in Michigan. I think almost everyone can agree. What we can agree on is what changes we would like to enact, and more importantly, how we would pay for those. Right. Well, school funding is a, is a huge issue, and we've had 
two studies now that have, first of all, said we're underfunding. And then the second one actually gave us a roadmap on how better to allocate the resources and how do we get more money into the classrooms, but where they're needed. Uh, you start with a baseline of funding uh, for a student, but then you say, what else is needed? Do you have a, a high percentage of special needs uh, students, uh, English language learners, transportation needs, things like that? We've got to relook at our funding model uh, because if we're not putting the resources in the right places, then it isn't a level playing field for all kids. Uh, and we have to actually, you know, really support our teachers. We are not supporting our teachers, and we're seeing the effects of that. We have a teacher shortage. We have a, a burnout that's happening very quickly. So we have to have more policies in place that actually empower our teachers to be the professionals that they are uh, and not say that, you know, we can dictate all the policies and see what goes on in the classroom. The teachers, that is their business, right? It's running the classrooms, and we have to do more to support the professionals. Are you willing to say that we need more revenue than we have now in order to beef up the spending that we have on, on schools? So the school aid fund itself has a lot of revenue in it, actually, right? But it continually is rated for other purposes. So if we can get back to the point where we're using the school aid fund as it was intended to fund K through 12 primarily, um, I think we would have a lot of resources that we need. Um, but we're constantly pulling out uh, re revenues and putting it in other places. We just saw that with the tax shift in lame duck. Um, and that's got to stop because the voters, uh, the residents, they pay those taxes to go into our schools because that drives our economy when you have the skilled workers going in. Uh, and we've got to stop that policy. Well, what about higher ed? Uh, we've been slipping down the ladder of rankings among states in terms of our investment in higher ed for a really long time. We are so far behind now that it would take probably a decade or more just to catch up back to where uh, where we were. Uh, same question. Do we need more revenue than we have to be able to invest in higher ed and then keep the cost of college down for people in the state? Well, I, d I don't think anything should be taken off the table. So we have to look at, are there places in our current revenue stream that uh, that maybe we can shift some resources. You look at corrections, that we spend $2 billion a year in corrections. Is that a source of additional revenue that could go somewhere else? And then what what are our needs? Uh, and that's one thing that I've, I've found very frustrating coming into the legislature from more of a business background is you set a budget. And But first you start with what are our absolute needs and then how do you pay for them? And we don't seem to always follow that process <laughs> in state government. And so if your needs are greater than what you have with your sources, you have to present your case to the public. And you have to have the public decide whether they want to invest and, and, and fix the roads and fund our schools uh, and what are the different options. Is it more revenue? Perhaps it is. Um, but we don't we shy away from actually presenting those those options to the public. And we need to start doing more of that. Yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Let's start with Tom in northwest Detroit. Tom, welcome to Detroit today. Yeah, first and foremost, uh, Happy New Year to both of you. Happy New Year Happy to you as well. Listening audience. Mm -hmm. You know, in terms of what uh, Ms. Gregg was talking about, I agree with her wholeheartedly uh, in terms of public education. I'm a retired teacher, and um, I think, not think, I know we need more resources to really go beyond the school, and I'm talking about going, if possible, into parents' home to hopefully, you know, help them uh, make things better for themselves as well as, as well as their children. So, you know, I'd like to see more, you know, psychologists. I'd like to see more social workers, you know, to take some of the weight off of the teachers that has been put on us because 
you know, we're there to teach. I mean, we, you know, and what has happened is we've been, what, I can't find the word, but we've been put in this, you know, position to where we're, we're basically surrogate parents now. Mm-hmm. And, and and that kind of thing, but but ultimately, you know, as you said, you, we need to leave the money that's in that fund and stop funding other things with it, and 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 hopefully, you know, because what is it? Michigan's at the bottom of the fifty states in terms of education. I mean, come on, at one time, especially the Detroit public schools, we were the envy of the nation in terms of you know turning out you know students who went on and did well and how high the grades, you know, were and, and the t- test scores and that kind of thing. And we've fallen a god-awful long way. But yeah. hopefully, you know, with, um, you know with, with the new administration in office, um, we'll, and Lord God, please let this happen. Stop demeaning teachers. I mean, it's a wonderful profession. But, you know, with the way we've been dumped on, you know, by the legislature, you know, by the, you know, I call it the anti-teacher legislature up in Lansing, I mean, it's very disparaging. And if somebody asked me, it says, would you advise someone to go into education? I mean, at this particular point, not so much now, yeah. but... You, you know, feel before. like that's uh, it's too much of a, it's too much of a burden. Uh, I, I totally hear that, Tom, and I appreciate the call. Uh, and and the comments uh, again. The, the the question comes back to a couple of things. I think a couple of really core things that we get wrong here in in Michigan. One is governance. I think uh, we have a real dissonance between the governor often and the the school board, which is state school board, which is elected. Uh, but then we also have this this question of money. Uh, we don't spend as much money educating our kids as people do in other states. Uh, and uh, Tom says we're at the absolute bottom. I'm not sure I've seen the numbers to back that up, but we have been sliding down. Uh, right. We used to be uh, top 10, top 20. We are no longer anywhere really near that. Right. And, and to Tom's point, too, about wraparound services, it's so important um, because what we've seen, and again, one of the reasons I wanted to run for office, I have three children, and I could see the difference in funding and resources between my two older ones and my youngest child. Um, and classroom sizes were going up at the same time as additional resources were being cut. So school libraries, uh, paraprofessionals, school nurses, counselors, all of that. And of course, that's going to put an additional strain on our teachers. And so we have to we have to acknowledge that uh, when it comes to actually paying for that, too, we have to be creative as well. We have to look at uh, partnerships. Uh, we have to see who can actually, what community groups, philanthropy, anything. But but we also have to be very careful about that model, too, because not everyone's going to have access to that, too. So we have to be very creative, and we have to try to get these additional resources to our kids. Hmm. It's it's our future. Uh, again, uh, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Let's go to Liz in Detroit. Liz, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, good morning. Hey, how are um, you? I'm good, I'm good. I was just calling about the previous caller's comment um, regarding teachers and, and parents. I understand absolutely. I have many friends who are teachers, and I understand what a hard and difficult uh, position it is. However, I think it's very dangerous when the government or different government officials start talking about going into homes and actually having a say over how parents raise their kids. I think as society, definitely um, the bar is slipped. Um, you know, education is going downhill. Uh, a lot of societal standards are definitely going downhill. Um, 
but that's something as a society we need to raise. There is no government responsibility for making sure that parents have a high bar with their kids. Hmm. Um, how we do that as a society is something we need to discuss as well. Hmm. Liz, I appreciate uh, the call and the comments. Uh, Representative Greg, how, how do you respond to that? Well, I think the key is to have resources available to help to help parents, right? Uh, one of my background coming in was I was the uh, PTA council president for the school district that had 11,000 students and 18 buildings. And so I was working with parents uh, to help them with, with their kids, you know, basically, and, and to succeed and for us to support the schools. Uh, and one thing that we did was we worked with the school district, we worked with the, uh, the Education Foundation, and we made resources available. But of course, it's up to the parents to take advantage of that. But the more that you can have those available, to them. Um, it's a pretty complex world out there, and there are a lot of pressures on parents today. Not not everyone has the luxury of having a, a two-parent home when one can stay home and the other's going to work, and there's just all these additional pressures. So I think we have to acknowledge that and make sure that we are trying to provide resources that they can take advantage of, but not mandated, mm. of course. Liz, again, thanks for the call and the comments. Let's go to Regina in Oak Park. Regina, welcome to Detroit today. Hi, good morning. Uh-huh. Um, uh, Representative Greg, this is uh, Regina Weiss. I'm on uh, City Council in Oak Park. I just want to congratulate you, first of all, on your new leadership position, and I want to thank you. I'm also a, um, a public school teacher in the Detroit Public Schools, and I just want to thank you on all of your comments and all the work that you've already done uh, to support public education. Um, I just have a quick question regarding uh, revenue sharing. Um, since I am representing the city of Oak Park, um, we are in Michigan. 50th out of 50 in terms of how we split our revenue with our municipalities, local governments, school districts. We're the worst state for revenue sharing, and it's really been hurting um, a lot of local governments, a lot of communities, and it's one of the reasons why we have a hard time funding local infrastructure projects. And I just was wondering if um, you know if there were any plans to address that in the new year. Mm, uh, great question, Regina. I appreciate your calling. And injecting that into the conversation here, I I have said for a really long time that we have created a local funding crisis by uh, essentially slashing through uh, the revenue sharing regime or infrastructure that we had for so long here in, in Michigan. I assume that Governor Whitmer will be reluctant to use the tools that Governor Snyder used to deal with that, which was the emergency manager law. But I think what to, to Regina's question, what is the what's the alternative, and is there a way to get more money to local governments to keep them out of trouble in the first place? Right. Well, Happy New Year, Regina. Nice to hear from you. Uh, revenue sharing is a huge issue, and to me, it's that theme again of not supporting the communities. Right. We're starting more from a state standpoint, not how do we empower communities. We've already talked about the schools, but it's also the local municipalities as well. And we have cut revenue sharing, I think it's been by over like $8 billion in the last 10 years. Um, And that takes its toll. And so we have to, again, look at that funding model between uh, the statutory uh, revenue sharing and, and, and we just really need to make sure that we are funding our local governments. We also have to make sure, if that's not going to come from state revenues, that we give tools to local governments so that they can be empowered to, to raise additional revenue if needed. We've kind of tied both hands uh, when we provide less funding from the state 
and then not giving them the tools to raise additional. So we'll be looking at that as well. Uh, I've heard from many constituents across this, uh, constituents in my district, but also from local officials across the state that it, it is, it's at a crisis point. Uh, strong communities, which also includes strong schools, are again the economic foundation to a prosperous state. We have to look at that in, in this budget process is, is going to be the first test mm-hmm. in the new legislature. Another big issue in Lansing uh, and, and one that you've already had to grapple with uh, is insurance and uh, the no-fault uh, regime that we have here in, in the state of Michigan and the incredibly high premiums uh, that we that we pay. You have a, a kind of mixed approach to, to, to reform here. Uh, talk about where you stand on that issue. So in the 99th legislature, the, the only legislation that actually came forth for a vote was a very one-sided approach um, where it was treating uh, people differently uh, by setting up this tiered level of of coverage, um, well, all the this was insurance. Uh, yeah, based on a, a yeah. lot of that. Um, but even before de insurance, some of these proposals had come up. Uh, during all of these discussions, we actually had a group of of Republicans and Democrats come together and create the fair and affordable plan that actually looked at both sides of the equation. So, how do we make sure that insurance companies are uh, having good policies and not using non driving factors in determining rates? How do we broaden the geographic areas when you're trying to do rates based on boundaries? Um, and then also the the Michigan Catastrophic Claims Fund. That sheds some light on that and see where that $20 billion is going to. Uh, so what we tried to take different approaches to that without cutting the vital services that uh, the victims of these terrible accidents uh, need. And so I'm, I'm very hopeful that we will use that as our starting point in the 100th legislature to come up with a more comprehensive solution that can be sustained. So, do, you, do you really believe, though, that there's a way to lower the cost to us as as drivers in the state without dealing with the medical costs and without somehow reining that in. I mean, it, it seems to me that when you sit down and try to crunch the numbers, it's really hard to come up with uh, numbers that say that those those rates will go down without dealing with those medical costs. Well, absolutely. The medical costs, we have to look. We've never... Uh, I'm. We need to look at fee structures. That's part of the fair and affordable plan as well. Um, so it's on both sides of the equation, uh, and we need to really give on both, you know, both on the insurance side as well as the medical uh, provider side as well, and come up with that balanced plan that'll bring down rates. Okay, okay. Uh, Christine Gregg, state representative from the 37th district covering Farmington and Farmington Hills, new state house Democratic leader. Congratulations again on that appointment. And thanks very much for being here with us on Detroit Today. Thank you. Yeah, we'll talk to you again soon. Great. Up next, we're going to talk about how Democrats could wield their oversight power in the new Congress in Washington. Also, don't forget, if you have to miss any of today's show, you don't have to miss out on the conversation. Just go to iTunes or wherever you download podcasts. Download and subscribe to Detroit Today. Take us with you and listen when you are ready. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Thank you.